Hey, today uh, we'll do the second sermon in the series on prayer that's called Pray. And I'm Chad, for those of you that don't know, I'm the pastor of this church and also the guy with the screaming kid in the back, uh, better known for that maybe this morning. Um, but I'm excited to preach this sermon to you today because, uh, you know, what Brandon's already said this morning, that, that it's really hard to be faithful in prayer. But what we're going to see in this passage today is that that prayer is deeply and intimately connected to love. And maybe when we find it hard to remain faithful in prayer towards someone, it's because we're struggling to remain uh, totally loving, completely loving, and, and we're really struggling to love them. And, and it's hard to love people consistently and constantly, right? People, people make decisions that bother us. We we try to reach out to them and they don't want to connect with us. We we don't really like people. I mean, how do we love people we don't like, you know? I mean, there's all these barriers between us loving and, and not loving. And yet as Christians, if you're a Christian, then then I think you would probably say, oh, I love everybody. We kind of we kind of say that, right? Like that's part of our language. I, I love people. I love people. Even if you're not a Christian, you might say, well, I love people. But the question is like, are you actually loving people? That's one big question. And, and, and how do you know if you're loving people? And what does love actually do? If we're gonna love people but we never see them or never talk to them or never think about them, is that really love at all? And, and kind of all of these things are, are answered a little bit in Romans chapter 12. And we're gonna see that Paul starts with this kind of really broad topic of growing in the spiritual life. And then he moves from there into love, being a part of that growth. And then he breaks that down and basically shows us a bunch of things that are necessarily true if we are genuinely loving other people. And so today, I think this sermon and this passage connects to a whole bunch of of really important things. Like if you have shown up here today and you want to grow in your relationship with God, check. This is a part of that. If you've, if you've shown up here today and, and you want to do better at loving people and you want to love people more, then, then this passage we'll look at kind of hits that and check. Yeah, it's here. And if you're a person like, you know, Brandon just described how we can all be that struggles to stay faithful in prayer, then I think this passage speaks to the importance of that and, and kind of shows us why and how we maybe can do that too. And so there's a check mark by that. And so in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that's where I want to start. It's not really where we're going to look, but listen to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so what we're gonna look at in Romans 12, 9 through 12 is, is kind of under this giant umbrella of, of having our minds transformed in order that we might be more fully uh, living a life that is sacrificial for God. It's about having a mind that is more like the mind of Jesus, a mind that is closer to what God wants our minds to be like. It's really about growing as a God-following, Jesus-following person. And so with that in mind, here's what we read in Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere. There's actually no verb in this little phrase right here. Uh, it's, it, 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 
is interesting. That's only interesting. I know that doesn't really matter. Like, why do I care that there's no verb in this phrase? And, and that's, I think, important only because it, it kind of sets up everything that Paul's going to say next in the next few verses. It's like it's header, right? Like, hey, hey, I'm about to explain something here, and, and I want you to know this is, this is like my header for what I'm about to say. You would do that if you were writing a paper. At least I did that in college when I was trying to fill up space in a paper. I'd give it a big headline and, and, and you know, get a little more pages out of it. Like, here's, here's what Paul's saying. Let love be genuine, or, or this is love without pretense. And as I mentioned earlier, and, and I'm, I'm convicted of this, as, as I think about this passage of scripture, I would be a person that would say, yeah, I love everybody. And I would mean it in this, this general, unimportant, unvaluable, uh, really obscure way. Like, uh, just because I'm supposed to love people, yeah, I love people, and that's kind of the end of it for me. And if you were to say, well, how, how are you loving them? I'd be stuck. I'd be stuck because a lot of times, a lot of times, and I hope it's not most of the time, but a lot of times my love is, is not genuine. It's, it's just pretend, right? It's just words. It doesn't really mean anything. And, and that's exactly what Paul is speaking about here. In fact, this word for sincere is actually, uh, it's, it's more like negative. It's like, don't play the part. It's a Greek word that's a theater word for acting, right? Don't, this, is, this is what it looks like, Paul's about to say, to not act like you love somebody, to not pretend to be in love, to not put on a show of love. This is what it looks like to, to actually love, to actually love. Now, the word for love is this very famous, especially if you've grown up in Christian circles, this very famous word, agape, and uh, it's like the big love in the Bible, and uh, a lot of people actually say that this word was unique to Christians, but it's not. It was used outside of Christian circles rarely. It's used in the Old Testament quite a bit, Uh, but what's so cool about the Christian use of it in the Bible is, is that it's almost as if Christians looked around, the Christians that were writing the New Testament inspired by the Holy Spirit, they looked around, and they're like, we need a word that isn't tainted by culture. We need a word for love because Greek-speaking people had more than one. We need a word for love that is not tainted by, you know, what, what the media says or what the writers say or what the philosophers say. We need, we need a word that we can kind of make our own word. And so they took this word agape and they started to use it as, as like the, uh, the culmination of, of love and what love is, sacrificial love. Love that is not based on what the other person can do for you or has done for you. I think this is cool partly because I think of our own word love, right? Like our English word love and, and how tainted it is, you know, by society. We can use love for so many things, right? We can use it for sex and french fries and everything in between. This is just how we can use the word love. And so if I say I love you, it's like, well, do you mean you lust after me? Or, or do you mean that I look like I taste good? Or, I mean, what do you, what do you actually mean by that? And, and so these first century writers who give us the New Testament as God leads them, they look around and they say, well, there's a word that is not tainted by society, and we can take it and we can adapt it. I, I looked up thesaurus.com. Uh, I went to thesaurus.com and looked up our English word love because I was like, do we, like, how do we actually, you know, what, do, what are the synonyms there, right? Because I couldn't really think of a, a second word for love, and so I thought maybe one was out there in English, and 
It's really interesting because here's the synonyms. Affection, appreciation, devotion, emotion, fondness, friendship, infatuation, lust. Those aren't love. I mean, none of those are love. And I think we all agree that none of those are love. Can they be a part of love? Maybe, but they're not love. Even the verb form, admire, care for, cherish, choose, go for, prefer, or prize. I just, I mean, I just thought of like, what if my wife, Bryn, said, I love you, and I said, well, I go for you. You know, like, I mean, that, does, that doesn't work, or I prefer you, that would be really bad, right? Like, try that. If you're not married, and some girl says, I, or a boy says, I love you, and you're not ready to say it, just look at him and go, I prefer you, you know, and, 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 and then just say, oh, it's a synonym, you know? I mean, I, I kind of mean, it just doesn't work, right? And I think these first century writers, as, as they're talking about the love of God primarily, and the love that we should have towards others because of God's love for us. They just needed a word that was different, and so they grasp a hold of agape, and now it has become so integral to the, the Christian faith that, that you, this Greek word is probably talked about more than any other Greek word in sermons, and it's like a word, maybe the only Greek word that people who have grown up in the church know because it's become so central to, to what we think of when we think of love. Now what's really cool, I mean, what is agape, right? That's the big question. And, and to this point in Romans, uh, Paul has used it one time. He's used it in Romans 5.8, and here's what he says, and it gets right to the heart of what a, a Christian should mean and, and have in their heads when they think about what agape is. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see everything about agape in this story that we call the gospel. The gospel is simply this, that God looked down from heaven, he saw that people were sinners, and yet he loved us so much, he agaped us so much, that he said, I will go down there and I will give my own life in order to save those people from their sins. And so he came in the form of Jesus, he was born at Christmas, he lived sinlessly, the end of his 33 or so year life, he died a horrific death on the cross where he was in fact paying the punishment for all of our sins. He was nailed there, facing feeling all of the pain that we deserved for our sins and then he died and he came back to life and Paul says this is this is love this is how God demonstrates love this is how God demonstrates agape that even though we rejected him and turned our backs on him and and downright became his enemies even though all that is true he still was willing to sacrifice on our behalf and then we get all the way to our verse Romans 12 9 and he says your agape our love for one another should be sincere Wikipedia which I've been liking more for my sermons lately I hope you don't fire me but uh it says this about agape it's the highest form of love it embraces a universal unconditional love that transcends and persists regardless of circumstance it goes beyond just the emotions to the to the extent of seeking the best for others. I think that's a great definition by Wikipedia, whoever put it on Wikipedia. And, and so what Paul says frequently, what the, the gospel writers say, what I think Jesus has, has said to us is, is simply this. Because Jesus agaped us, we ought to agape others. And we should not just do that in word. We should not just pretend. But as Paul says here, 
It should be sincere. Should be sincere. And what he's going to say next is, is really all of this stuff that kind of flows from love. It's different than, and you may know this from a wedding, 1 Corinthians 13 contains this description of love. And what we read in Romans 12 is different because it's not, it's not Paul describing love. It's Paul describing the things that flow from love. If our love is sincere, then this is going to flow from it, these things that he's going to say next. Uh, in the book, The Epistle of the Romans, a, a commentary, Leon Morris says, perhaps we can say that what follows is little more than a spelling out of what love means. But I like this better by John Stott. Agape love now dominates the scene. And he goes on to say it adds a fresh ingredient to the, Paul, to the apostles' recipe for love. It seems to have 12 components. Stott would even say that, that all of Romans 12 from that 1 and 2 that I read through verse 15 is in some way saying if your love is sincere, if you really love, if you're growing in your, uh, your ability to think like Christ and, and that's flowing into love, then, then all of this in Romans 12, 15, 12 through 15, the chapters will flow naturally from it. And here, I, I, I know I did the whiteboard thing last week, and I think it worked. I'm not sure if you thought it was terribly stupid and you never wanted to see me with the whiteboard again. Well, you should have skipped church today because I have a whiteboard and I know I can't draw and I'm nervous about it again. But, but this is what I, I think it's like. It's like if love is a heart, I was thinking about drawing a real heart. Hey, not bad, huh? We all know what that is. I'm one for one here. Uh, if you didn't see last week's sermon, then watch it because it was bad. I even thought about how bad it was later. Uh, the drawing, anyway. Uh, and so this is, this is love, right? And, and Paul's about to talk to us about what a sincere love is. And instead of describing love, he basically says, if that love is sincere, and this is where it's gonna get weird, because I don't even know what these look like, but there's gonna be these arteries that kind of come out, and love is going to naturally flow into these other things uh, that I'm going to describe next. And so what he's doing is not describing love, but, but he's saying these are the things that flow from love, like an artery, right? I mean, I know the blood flows and it's in the artery, but you can, you can stay with me. And that's exactly what we see when we turn to Romans 12, 9 through 11. And, and here's what Paul says. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now you, you could guess that there's one more because this sermon series is about prayer and I'm gonna read that in a second. But I wanna more briefly touch on these things because I think they're important and, and it all kind of builds in some ways to prayer. I know that's weird and, and it's gonna seem disconnected for a second but I'm gonna do my best to connect it. But, but it all kind of builds towards that final statement about prayer. But, but, but here's what he says first. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And so, I mean, one of, the, one of the arteries here is you gotta hate evil and you gotta cling good. I'm just gonna do, oh, that's a G. Uh, cling good, we'll just do it like that. Yeah, I know you can't read it, doesn't really matter. That's not the point. Uh, but, but this is one of the arteries. It's naturally gonna flow from it. And, and in other words, what Paul's saying is love wants what is good for a person and not what is bad for them. Now, this isn't just the emotion, like I hope that, that you know, the best thing happens for them and not a bad thing. I hope that. This is, this is like a desire to see the, the good happen for a person and, and not 
the bad. Now, here's what's so fascinating about that to me is that in some ways our society has twisted this, right? And the word love means you just let a person do whatever they want and you never stand in their way because that's what love does. Like, it doesn't bother a person. It doesn't ever tell them they're wrong. And it's twisted, but I guess we should, we could erase here and go, what agape does because our word has been tainted, right? Just like the Greek word. What agape does is it wants what is good for the person. It hates what is evil. It never wants to see them sin. It only wants to see them live for God and live for God fully. Romans 13, 8 says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. When, when we love, it's like we want the good. We want good. And I don't just mean good in some obscure way, like I want the person to get rich and famous and all that. I mean, we want what God wants for them. That's, that's a natural extension of agape. We want them to never do anything that God doesn't want them to do. And we want them always to do what God does want them to do. And then he says, be devoted to one another in love. And so uh, devotion here, we can write that down in, in love. And I know that's weird to say love is a natural extension of love. But what Paul does here is he uses two different Greek words. One is about the devotion that a parent has for their child. And the other is a brotherly love. It's, that's how it's most often defined, brotherly love. And what Paul seems to say is if your love is sincere, then you're naturally going to feel like somebody is family. That's interesting, right? Because it's a lot easier to say, well, I love everybody, but like I'm going to be there for my family. I'm going to have fun with my family. I'm going to really care about my family. But Paul says when we genuinely love, when we sincerely love, then the people that we are loving are going to become as family to us. We are going to be devoted to them and we're going to be connected to them. I can't imagine not being there for my family when they need me. I also can't imagine not having fun with my family and just having a good time like brothers do. I got brothers when I became, uh, when I married my wife because I, I never had brothers growing up, but I have brother-in-laws and, and so brotherly love has taken on a, a new meaning to me. It's, it's fun to have brothers. We, we share things, we do things together, we like each other, sometimes we don't, but most of the time we like each other and we have a good time together. It's like this built-in, you know, these built-in people that I can play basketball with. It's a good deal. And sincere love naturally flows into that love that, that, you know, maybe we think of as actual love when we think of love in the American sense. It's, it's familial in a lot of ways. He says that we should honor our, 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 each other above ourselves. Basically, the idea here is that we want other people to be respected and honored above us. It's like if somebody's going to win the compliment battle, it's going to be us because we want to look at the other person and say, you're great. And, and, and hopefully if we both love each other and they're looking at us and say, no, you're great. And I'm saying, no, you're greater and you're greater. And, and you don't actually have to do that. But that's the attitude that naturally flows from love is that we want the other person to be put on a pedestal and we're perfectly willing to take a backseat and serve. Uh, something I've been thinking about and something I hope I do is Jesus' his description of love, uh, of leadership and how he describes leadership as, as serving. If you want to be a leader, you got to serve. You don't do it like the Gentiles. You don't do it like people that don't love God. Our leaders should be serving in Christian world and, and, and that's taking a step back and saying the people I serve, is, are they're more important. And each of us, if we're truly loving others, will have that attitude. They're more important than I am. 
And then he says, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now that kind of seems generic and broad, right? But remember, it's under the heading of love. And, and, and so basically, I think what he's saying is don't be lazy in love. You're not going to be lazy in serving the other person and doing the things that God wants you to do for them. When he says serving the Lord here, it's not generic. It's not some, you know, just this thing that's, you know, metaphorical or, you know, it has no real meaning. He's saying, like, look, you should be serving the Lord through serving people that you claim to love and so we're gonna serve God and we're not just gonna do it lazily but we're going to do it with fervor the the word there means like a a pot boiling over and it can be connected to the Holy Spirit's movement in our life or to our spirit and how our spirit should should react to people but either way it all ends up in the same place right it's it's saying I am passionate I am boiling I am working hard in order to serve these people that I love these are all I I didn't mean to make the right amount but I look pretty smart don't I just getting the right amount of arteries coming off there but but here Paul is saying this is this I mean, if, you're, if you really are going to agape someone, agapao is the verb, by the way, then, then these things are going to naturally flow from them. And maybe if they're not, then you need to begin to question if, if perhaps you're just pretending to love those people. I mean, if these things aren't flowing out of the love that you profess to have for somebody then you maybe need to just ask is my love actually real or am I just pretending to love those people and then he says just one more thing in verse 12 be joyful in hope patient in affliction and faithful in prayer now at first glance, like as I read this, first, second, third glance, it was like, how does, how does this really connect to love? How does, I mean, like all the other things, you know, easy to make a case, like how we can we see that, but like, like prayer and, and joyful and hope and patient and affliction, I mean, how are these things really connected to, to praying or to love, excuse me, to love? Now, first thing you need to know is that all three are, are connected in style and content here. It's not like we can take these as three separate phrases and go, look, this is how you love your joyful in hope and your patient in affliction and your faithful in prayer. Uh, these are all connected ideas. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, you see this. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, describing love, always perseveres. And so we have these three kind of intimately connected ideas that, that are somehow, some way connected to true love, to actually loving somebody. Now first, let's just say this. This word, uh, that we should understand this. Hope sustains us, right? But we must endure in it. And, and just in any, in any walk of life, any area of life, right? Hope, hope sustains us. Like if you, if you went to school, high school let's say, uh, you went every day and, and, and you, you did your classes or you went, you know, in my case most days and, and you did your classes and you did your homework and, and you kept working and it was all in some ways connected to hope. Hope that someday you'll finish 
If I said, this is the rest of your life, you're going to do classes and you're going to do homework, you'd quit, right? You would just give up on it. Anything that you've accomplished in your life that took step-by-step you know, progression to get there. You had to do a task every day and you worked towards it. It was all because you hoped that eventually you would take hold of something, whether it's a paycheck or an award or, uh, you know, uh, you've met a goal or whatever it might be. It's all sustained by hope. But hope can be really hard to endure in. That's the next word. It kind of makes sense, right? It can be hard to continue to be hopeful, especially when we don't know exactly when we'll get to the outcome. I know people who were in seminary with me uh, that, that, you know, they were, they were just trying to get classes in here or there. And so for them, it was, you know, I need to get this master's degree, but it's somewhere out in the future. I have no idea when I'll get there, but I show up. And, and it was so different. Some of them probably haven't finished, you know, and maybe it maybe won't ever finish. They'll quit. For me, I was on the get it done as soon as possible before I get married and have children plan. And so it's like in two and a half years, I will be done with this and I'll move on with my life. And so when I did my assignment tonight, it's like this is happening and we're moving and hope was easy to endure. But when you don't know when the ending is coming and all, like you don't know what the outcome is going to be, hope can be really hard to endure in. But Paul says we must, we must, at least if we're going to have sincere Love And here's what I think the answer is. I think, I think that the answer is that, that prayer, faithful prayer, is necessary if we're going to endure in hope. And I'm going to bring this all connected to love at the end. But if we're going to endure in hope, then we must be faithful in prayer. I, I like this definition of faithful. Occupy oneself diligently with something. The actual Greek word is, is strong. It means to be strong or firm towards anything, to endure or persevere in or with, to be continually in with or near any person or thing. It's to busy oneself with something or to be busily engaged with or to be devoted to. It doesn't just point towards like, I consistently pray. It points towards this idea that we are, we are holding tightly to prayer and saying, I will never let prayer go because I know that it is a part of enduring in the hope that I need to endure in if I'm going to keep moving forward towards what God has called me to or to what, towards what I want to accomplish or to, towards what I want to see done in that other person's life, whatever it might be. I like that. Uh, for me, ideas like faithful that, you know, I can swing to say, I mean, you, you could pray once a year and say, I've been faithful in prayer. I did it that one Sunday when I showed up at church and they asked me to last year. You know, I was faithful in it. But to say, I'm gonna squeeze prayer. I'm gonna hold it tight. I'm never gonna let it go. I'm gonna get a grip on it so firm that nobody could pull prayer from my hands. No, no, uh, distraction, no, no change in my life, no thing can ever pull prayer from my hands from my life. Now that, that's different than yeah, I prayed a couple times last year. That's making prayer central to everything you do. I watched this documentary uh, this week called The Game Changers. It's a, it's a vegetarian uh, documentary primarily. I became vegetarian for a day. And uh, 
<laughs> it kind of happens with me in documentaries. <laughs> I'm all in for one day about everything that's ever said. Uh, I guess there's aliens in our church service today, you know, for one day, and I kind of move on. But, but this documentary had this very strong man on there to prove that you didn't need to eat meat and you could still be strong. And it was his goal to, to pick up the world's heaviest weight that any human had ever picked up before. And he got it under him and he and he had to carry it a certain amount of feet. And man, in this one very memorable line, he's like, man, this could just break my bones. I was like, wow, let's just leave it, <laughs> you know? And this other guy pushed it, who was an MMA fighter, looked super strong. He was also in charge of the documentary, so he could have been faking. But he pushed it, and it looked like the thing couldn't even move at all, right? Like, I mean, it looked like it might as well have been bolted into the ground when he pushed on it. And this guy picks it up and starts walking, and he flips over a car, and and I think like Paul's word is closer to growing in our strength towards prayer like in that idea. Like I want to be able to hold prayer up over and over. I want to be able to do it longer. I want to be able to do it better. I want to be able to, to sustain the weight of prayer more and more. And so I'm just going to lift or I'm going to grow in this area. And in, in the knowledge, in the knowledge that if I'll pray, then it will help me endure in hope. And enduring in hope is really hard. Leon Morris says, the strong words suggest not only the constancy with which we are to pray, but the effort that is needed to maintain a habit so much above nature. We are left in no doubt, but that persistent prayer is a necessary part of the Christian life. Last week, and man, I'm telling you, if you didn't hear the sermon, go back and listen to it. But I talked a lot about how hard prayer is. And last week we saw one of the, the very big helps that, that the Apostle Paul gives us when it comes to, to praying despite how difficult it is. But sometimes, despite its difficulty, we just need to buck up and say, I'm going to just do it. I'm going to find the strength. I'm going to battle through and I'm going to pray because I know that prayer, prayer is a big part of enduring in hope. I mean, the early Christians did it. Uh, this word is used in, in the book of Acts. And, and the early, man, the early Christians are, are responsible in large part for, for what we're doing today. And the work that the early Christians did despite persecution, the way they endured and hoped despite all these bad things happening around them should be modeled by us. And, and, and I think it's connected to the fact that they were strong in prayer. Listen to Acts 1.14. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were devoted to the same word. Paul calls us to this in a passage or a verse that we'll look at later in a fuller passage, Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Be strong in prayer. I played sports for a long time, and, and man, uh, when you have a goal in mind, it, it causes you, it just, it causes you to just do things that you didn't think you could do, to be strong in things that you've, you just thought were not possible to play through pain, to play through struggle. I, I rolled in with 104 degree temperature to a practice one time. My coach made me go home. Uh, I pitched with 103 degree temperature when my dad was my coach. He didn't make me go home. Um, it was a big game. Uh, 
I, I mean, just the, I, 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 man, I almost broke my fibula at a baseball game, and a week later I was going to open gym because I wanted to make sure I made the team. Like, if you really have a goal in mind, you just, you can just handle things that otherwise you could not handle. It's one of the reasons I'm such a big uh, pusher of kids doing sports is because they learn to handle things that they, they maybe couldn't handle. I don't care if they get a trophy or they have fun. I just want them to, to learn to be tougher. And, and here's exactly what Paul is saying. Look, you need to endure in hope, but it's hard to do that. Enduring in anything is hard. But, but one of the ways you can do it is just to be strong in prayer, to be tough when it comes to prayer. Be tough when it comes to prayer. Paul moves in Romans 8 from hope to perseverance to prayer. It's a natural progression. If you're going to hope, it's going to take perseverance. If you're going to persevere, then you have to be tough about prayer. You just have to be. How does it connect to love, <laughs> right? Uh, There's a big roundabout. I mean, how does that make it, you know, another artery? I'm going to put it down here to love. How, how, does, how does that work? And I, and I think there's, uh, there's no solid answer, but I think there's two really important options. First, if we're going to love, then we must hope uh, beyond, we must love, if we're going to love beyond circumstances, and it's hard, right, then, we, then we're going to have to persevere in hope, right? When it's hard, then it's hard. <laughs> I mean, if love, if love is the big idea, and Paul comes down here and he says, persevere, right? He's talking about perseverance all of a sudden. That's difficult. And if perseverance is driven by hope, then, then we're not gonna do it without prayer. Like, like think about the most difficult person that you've ever really tried to love. It wasn't fake. Like you really, really tried to love somebody and they just kept stomping on that love and they kept being jerks to you and they kept using you and they kept hurting you. And then Paul comes along and he's like, well, you need to continue to hope. And you're like, <laughs> like hope. Like, do you know how many times? Do you know how many times they've crushed my hope? Well, then Paul said, well, you have to persevere in that hope. You gotta keep going. You're like, I don't think I can persevere in that hope because I've been, ho- I've been hurt so many times by them. And then Paul says, well, here's what you're gonna have to do. You're gonna have to be strong in prayer if you're going to succeed in these things. You see, sincere love is hard because people are hard. I can tell you it's hard to sincerely love me. I've said it before in sermons. I'll say it again. One of the great things that God has done for me is given me good friends despite me not being a good friend. I'm very action-oriented. I'm very to-do list-oriented. Hanging out with you just seems like it's getting in the way of me getting things done. And, and here's what's school. You, you go, how can he say that? He has friends here. They know. <laughs> And they love me anyway. Loving people is really hard. Sincerely loving people is really hard. But, but to do it, if you're gonna do it anyway, if you really wanna agape, then, then you, have to, you have to have hope and you have to persevere in that hope and you're only gonna do it if you continue to pray for that person. You're strong in prayer for that person. That makes sense? You see how it connects to love? But there's this other way that came to mind. I think both are probably true. And here it is. It's this. Like if you're going to really love somebody, then you're going to want what is good for them, right? And you're going to hate what is evil. And you're going to just want to see them move forward always. And so you're going you're gonna to be hoping for them. You're going to hope things for them. I hope that this happens and that happens. And some might be, you know, simple and easy. Like I hope they get the job. I hope 
that, that the cancer goes away. I hope these things. But also some might be huge. I hope they give their lives to Jesus. I hope they stop sinning. I hope they return to their spouse. I hope that their kid gets better. You know, there's these big things that we hope. And if it's sincere love, then we're gonna persevere in that hope, which means we're gonna have to continue to pray that those things will happen. And so prayer Faithful prayer, strong prayer, tough prayer becomes a part of love because one, it helps us to continue to love the person even when it's hard. And two, it is an act of love to continue to pray for them even when it seems like that thing that they need will never, will never happen for them. You are holding them up by the strength of your prayer because you love them, but you are continuing to love them because of the strength of your prayer. And so it only makes sense that it is, it is the final artery in prayer because I don't know, I don't know that any of this can happen without us being faithful in prayer. We have to do it. And so you can look around, and I, and I thought about this, man, and, and it's not the easiest thing for me. I'm not the best, and I, I said this last week, I'm not... I, I read the Bible and I've been so consistent with that for, you know, since I became serious about my faith. But praying is harder. And when I pray, it's often for revival in our country and for the growth and health of our church. But one of the things that I'm not very good about and, and, and I'm trying to do better in is just praying for individuals. And what struck me this week, and I don't say this lightly, is it probably means that my love could just be more sincere for people. I probably just don't love people enough. Because if I did, a natural extension would be that I would be in prayer for them as individuals, for you as individuals more. And I think there's two things here. One is that this should make you question whether your love is sincere. And if you want your love to be sincere, then you should start to aim for all of this. Just take a picture. You'll understand later. (laughs) But also, I think there's a reason Paul gives this command. He knows that maybe we don't even know what sincere love looks like. And maybe it's not that we're not sincerely loving. It's just that we've never, we've never thought about these things. But now you have. And so maybe question whether your love is sincere. But then also, if you really do, you go, yeah, I do have a sincere love. Well, you better start to be strong in prayer for the people that you claim to love. They go together. They can't be separated. So here's the point, I mean, of basically all of Romans 12, develop the mind of Christ, who? Who loved deeply and sincerely and who went up on mountains to pray all night, probably in large part for people and also for himself to sustain, you know, uh, the work that he needed to sustain, but for, for his disciples, the people that he cared about and loved. One of the great scenes in the Bible is Jesus praying in the book of John for his disciples or before he's going to die and go up into heaven he prays for them this beautiful prayer because he had a sincere love for them and so develop the mind of Christ and sincerely love people because Jesus loved you and then as an extension of that if you do sincerely love people and you want to sincerely love people more it's going to flow into prayer and so please hope and persevere for them but that all stands on the strength of your prayer and so be strong in prayer. And I like tough so much better because strong, you go like, oh, I'm not strong enough and I quit. Be tough. 
I mean, just put on the boots and get the job done. Like, stop making excuses for why you can't pray for the person. Stop making excuses for how you don't have time. You watch plenty of TV. You, you listen to plenty of things on the radio or podcast or iTunes. You have plenty of time and you have plenty of energy. And uh, stop making the excuse that your kids are young and they require a lot of energy. I mean, just get the job done. Just go pray for people because you sincerely love them. Let me pray that we'll do that. Lord Jesus. I mean, ultimately, I just pray that we would all here who are Christians develop your mind. I pray for non-Christians who sit in front of me, those listening online right now, God, and I pray that you would bring them into a relationship with you, God. I'm not, I'm not sure that they've ever experienced sincere love uh, to the fullest. They haven't to the fullest, God, if they haven't experienced you. And so, God, that gospel story I told this morning, I pray that, that you would draw people to embrace it and accept it and to give their lives to you. But for those of us who have God, I pray that we would then be an extension of your sincere love and we would love others sincerely, not just in thought, not just in word, but we would really and actually, God, love people. And God, I pray that all of these things that are on my whiteboard, that were on my whiteboard, would, would be true in our lives for the people that we love. But, but this morning I ask mostly, God, that, that we would be tough, we would be faithful, we would be strong, God, in our prayer. Let us never give up, God, but let us pray fervently, passionately, constantly, God, for a long time. Let us pray, 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 God, because we want to love people sincerely. I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. During this next song, uh,